0: He is the only one who can, and there is no one better than him. It's great to, uh, great to meet new people who are coming in. Really, really welcome to Derby City Church, but it's really good to meet people who have yet to come to church and have just started coming in the last couple of weeks after ages of being off. And it's really, really good to meet back with you and for you to feel a little bit more confident coming back to church you might be watching online right now thinking, but I just feel so awkward. Maybe, maybe I'll get a bit of a funny response. No, you won't. We'll just be glad to see you. So, so come. Come back to church. And uh, you know, it's absolutely fine. We know it's been a really, really weird, weird season. And um, you know, we're still in a little bit of it, but um, things are getting a little bit better. So, uh, so God bless you. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 32. And um, this is a really interesting passage of scripture. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read uh, a big section and then a little section towards the end. The story of Jacob, or a chapter out of Jacob's life. Anyway, um, strange character, Jacob. A bit like you and me. Not really much different from you and me, really, Jacob. And um, he's a guy who um, really, really wrestled with God. Who wrestles with God here? Who wrestles with God? What God does and how God does it and what happens in the world and why doesn't, doesn't God do this? And you know, I know better than God, why didn't, why didn't he do what I say? And that sort of stuff really, that, that's Jacob really. And uh, Genesis 32 verse 1 says this, Jacob also went on his way, he just had a meeting with a, a guy who was, uh, he'd wronged. And uh, it was a bit of an awkward meeting, but it, it, you know, it ended a little bit strangely. So he, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messages ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys and sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord, that I might find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. And 400 men. Are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided his people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. When Jacob prayed, sorry, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go. "'Back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. "'I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. "'I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. "'Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me, "'and also my, uh, uh, the mothers with their children.' But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had uh, with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, Two hundred female goats, twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty female camels and their young, forty cows and ten bulls, and twenty female donkeys and male donkeys. He put them uh, in the care of his servants, each herd by himself. By itself, and said to his servants, "Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds." He instructed the one. Uh, in the lead. When my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and third and all the others who followed their herds. He was, a, he was afraid, as I guess all of us would be, would be. You know, it's one thing your brother who you've wronged and you you really know you've wronged him coming to meet you, but when he's bringing 400 men as well, that's trouble. That's trouble. And he was scared and he was trying to placate his brother, trying to send out all these gifts and and show that, uh, you know, he he wanted peace. But that night, it says in verse 22, that might Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he went over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and overcome Jacob said please tell me your name but he replied why do you ask my name and then he blessed him there it's a very strange passage it's an interesting passage it's a passage that really has a lot of scary details to it because if uh, if the same thing happened to you how would you react you've got an enemy coming He's your brother, but you've wronged him. But he's coming, and he's coming for retribution and, and revenge. And you, you're already thinking, what am I going to do with all my family? What am I going to do with all my things? But then, then he wrestles with God. He has this encounter with angels. And, um, you know, who knows? How many people here have actually met an angel? Well, we don't know, do we? How do we know? You know, we've had some strange encounters. We've had some things happen to us that are a little bit unexplained. We'd have people there one minute and then they've gone. And it's just a bit strange. Who knows? Who knows? I want to thank Dan for last week for preaching about praying with confidence. God wants us to be confident people, doesn't he? We're not always confident, but he wants us to be confident. Confident people. Why? Because if we're confident, and I mean confident in God, then we can face any enemy. We can face any circumstance. We can win battles or see God win battles in our lives. But many of us aren't confident. We're not confident about praying. We're not confident about our relationship with God. We're not confident about where we stand or eternity. And I think that's the word for us in this season confidence. Confidence. Where do we lack confidence? How can we get that confidence? That solid, deep, restful, peaceful confidence that God wants and wants us to have. If you go online or you look at any Christian book. Bookshop online or website or anything like that, or you tune into any TV channel uh, that's uh, a Christian TV channel, you'll see hundreds and hundreds of titles and messages talking about the sort of people that God wants. And it ranges from God wants worshippers, God wants prayers, God wants servers, God wants warriors, God wants givers, etc., etc., etc. It's all these people that, that God wants. I'm not going to say that that's wrong this morning, but what I am going to say is that above all that, above all that, God is looking, God is looking for a people. He's looking for a people who are asking questions. You know, many of us ask a question, what do you want me to do, God? But it's the wrong question, really. It's not what what he wants you to do, it's what he wants you to be. How do you want me to be, God? How do you want me to be? And you know how God wants us to be today. God wants us to be confident, and He wants us more than being worshippers, prayers, etc., etc., etc. He wants us to be His friend. God wants friends. God wants friends, and that might seem quite simple and a little bit shallow this morning, but it's not. It's quite profound. Jesus said a lot of things that people walked away thinking, hmm, "Is that it?" But actually it's many many layers many many layers. God wants friends and confident friends today could you be a confident friend of God today? could you have confidence in your relationship with God that is not just a, a formal relationship it's a it 's a friendship it's a relationship that goes deep that is honest that is pure that is really really solid God wants that today He wants that not because he's deficient in any way god is the all sufficient one god's not lonely he's not desperate for friendship in that way but god god's heart longs for a true deep honest relationship with every single one of us he wants that Solid relationship with every one of us. He wants to hear our hearts cry, but he wants us to know as well that he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's there all the time. And we can have that, we can have that relationship with, with him. And he wants to get hold of us in such a way that as we walk through life, we know he's always with us. Like Steve was saying, that he gives us opportunities to make the most of. And he will give us opportunities. But not so that we can be the most articulate, uh, super spiritual person. But so we can just genuinely say to people, God loves you. God loves you. God cares for you. In your situation, what you're going through right now. Like Dan says, can you believe it's, it's September? Blink and it'll be Christmas. Blink again and it'll be You'll be staring at 2023 thinking, what happened to 2022? Time goes so, so quickly. And in the new year, you'll be thinking, should I make a resolution? What resolutions shall I make? Do I believe in resolutions? Is it, is it good to make a resolution? If you make one resolution in this new year, make it, I want to be a deeper, stronger friend with God. That's the best resolution that you can make. I want that relationship to be more stronger, more meaningful, more deeper. If you're always at a loss, then make that relationship. Dan, a few weeks ago, talked about doing a, a spiritual practice called Lectio Divina, which is very fancy for reading scripture and thinking about it. But really, that's what it is. Read a passage of scripture and think about it. Meditate on it. Pause. Reflect. Read it again. Stay quiet. Have your ear open to God. So God, what are you saying to me through this? What are you saying to us as a church? A few few days ago, I was reading Romans 8. Romans 8, and I got to verse 17. It says this. Now, if we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ... We are heirs of God's glory. Now, it says slightly different things in different, in different uh, translations. Read them all. Because actually, the Holy Spirit was trying to impress upon me. You're an heir. You're an heir with Jesus. You're co-heirs with Jesus of all God's glory. Jesus lived in God's glory. He was aware of God's glory. He moved in God's glory. And I'm an heir of that. We are heirs with that. And I began to pray and say, God, what what are you saying to me? What are you saying to the church? I was preparing this message. And God said this, I don't see you as you see yourselves. You see yourselves very often as unable, guilty, failures. I see you through the cross, righteous and redeemed. He went on to say this, Therefore, abandon all that you see of yourselves to my grace, and I will set you free for my service. Then your worship of me will be from gratitude of what I have done for you through my Son. God our Father doesn't see us as we see ourselves. We view ourselves, probably more often than not, in not a very positive light. We tend, if we're really honest, to believe more of what the devil says about us than what God says about us. We live our lives with the devil accusing us of being rubbish or inadequate or reminding us of our our sins and weighing us down, and yet we walk around with all this rubbish. We don't we don't give what God sees in us a second thought sometimes. And we live under that. But God's saying. Abandon yourselves to all that. Sack that in. See yourself as I see you. See yourself in that light and my grace will set you free. And it's good when God speaks like that to actually say, what does that look like in my life? What does that look like? What does that look like in your people, God, if we all abandoned ourselves? If you look it up in the dictionary, abandon means to completely give up to completely give up, to to make it a, a practice to give up all the negative stuff and make it a practice to go on to something else, have a course of action. It also says abandon is to renounce. We don't do much renouncing anymore, do we? If you're in the Church of England, you renounce the works of the devil. That's not a bad thing, you know. We might not be Anglicans, but it's not a bad thing. We need to renounce the works of the devil much more in our own lives. Renounce what the devil says about us. Abandon it. Take no notice of it. Also, the dictionary says that abandon means to cease to support or look after. In other words, we foster a lot of negativity in our lives. We look after it. We sort of tend to it. We feed it very often with what's going on in our our, our minds, our worry and everything like that. God says abandon that. Cease to do that. Don't look after it. Don't support it. Don't water it. Let it dry up. Let it die off. What would it look like to be abandoned to what God says about us? To what he really thinks about us in our lives? Which brings us on to the character of Jacob. Because Jacob is a lot like us. He's a lot like me and he's a lot like you. Jacob, in chapter 32, This gives an account of one day in Jacob's life. Just one day. If all this happened to you in one day, boy, it would be amazing. It was no ordinary day. It was a pretty eventful day, but a very significant day, very historic day. It was a day of encounter. Jacob encountered God on many levels, on all the levels that we encounter God. So in verse one, it says that Jacob met with angels. Angels came and met with him. I have to say that in relatively recent years, there's been a lot written uh, and a lot of significant emphasis put on, on angels. And a lot of it has not been helpful because it's not been biblical. Certain teaching about having our own personal angel... Naming our own angel, talking with our, our own angel, consulting our own angel. It's nowhere in Scripture. It's nowhere, and yet prominent preachers, who sadly are no longer prominent, interestingly, uh, have sort of like fostered this thing. If you read Wayne Grudem, solid guy, systematic theology, he describes at length some of the some of the uh, The purposes that angels have in God's purpose. He lists them. Angels show the greatness of God's love and plan for us. Angels remind us that there is an unseen world and that it is real. Angels, they're an example to us in many ways. Angels carry out God's plans. Angels directly glorify God. We should be aware of angels in our daily lives, but... Wayne Grudem says, "We are not to worship angels, we are not to pray to them, and we are not to even seek them." So why did they come to Jacob? Why did God send His angels to Jacob? Perhaps they came simply to encourage him. He he was very very tired. He was fleeing from Laban, his father-in-law. They they may have come to just minister to him, to strengthen him, just like they did Jesus when Jesus was tempted by the devil. It says angels came and ministered to him in, in Matthew 4. Perhaps in this particular passage of, uh, of Jacob, perhaps they came to serve as a reminder to him, reminding him that he had his dream of the ladder going up to heaven and how the access to God, that he, he's got the access. Perhaps they reminded him of chapter 31 of Mizpah, where God wanted to remind him that God was constantly watching over him. But Wayne Grudem goes on to say this, angels are a sign of God's friendship to mankind. They bring guidance and help and care and encouragement as a result of God's true friendship. They can also bring warning, but again, as a result of God's true friendship. That's the relationship that God has with us. That's why God sends angels, because he's our friend. He wants to be our friend. He wants his, his servants, the angels, to come and minister to us. And they do, just like they did Jacob. God wants friendship with us. And that was the morning. In the afternoon, Jacob encountered trouble. if you know the story of Jacob, you'll know that in chapter 27, he cheats his brother Esau out of his inheritance. He deceives the father, Isaac, and Isaac gives Esau's share of all the family wealth to Jacob instead. He actually enacts his own meaning of his own name. His name means grasper, supplanter, usurper, somebody who cuts in before, jumps the queue, if you like. And Jacob did that. He put lie upon lie upon lie, and he ended up stealing his brother's inheritance. And in this chapter, his brother is now coming towards him. So you can imagine that you know Jacob's expecting trouble from Esau. He was in trouble. So what does he do? He does what we all do. He prays. He prays and he reminds God. God, you said that I'd have an inheritance. You said that I'd be okay. He reminds God. But um, one of the uh, commentators, Gerald West, says this, that up to this point in Jacob's life, he'd never ask God for help. That's interesting. But now he's asking because he's in trouble. (laughs) And I wonder if we're like that sometimes. We sort of like, when things are going smooth and okay, and you know, life's good, we don't really give God a second thought, do we? Life's good. But then the next day, or even in the afternoon, trouble comes. And suddenly, we're praying. We're aware of God. We're calling on God. We're asking for for his help. That's um, an interesting relationship. You know, we've all got friends like that, haven't we? Or they call themselves friends. You know, when they need anything, they'll give us a ring. But usually they don't give us a second thought. And it's usually us doing all the chasing. Well, sometimes we're like that with God. We're very much like that with God. We We only call on him when we need him. And so in sending his angels, God's demonstrating his pure motivation for that relationship with Jacob. Because God wants... Wants a friendship with Jacob. But Jacob, on the other hand, is displaying this one-sided nature of emergency praying. You know, when things get tough and scary, he wanted, well, he wanted that friendship, but only when he needed it, on his terms. Don't forget, don't forget God in the good times. Don't forget God wants a relationship with you when life's good. When life's smooth, be aware, thank God, be thankful for God every single day because He desires a genuine friendship with you. If you do that, your relationship with Him will become more confident because you'll be aware of Him through good and bad. But then the evening comes, Jacob encounters God. In the evening, it's a fascinating passage of Scripture. There's plenty of mystery surrounding it. We see that Jacob separates himself from his family. He gets alone, and then a man comes and wrestles with him. In the heading in my Bible, it says Jacob wrestles with God. So even though it says a man came and wrestled with God and struggled with Jacob until dawn, It becomes a little bit clearer that this man is something other than a man. God. Man? God? Who can this be? Who's the only man that's God? Interesting. Theologians better than you or I, you know, reckon that this is an old testament old testament appearance of Jesus, a theophany. So if you forget anything else, you've learned something today. A theophany is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. But he struggles. He struggles. And as the struggle continues, Jacob's hurt. His hip is put out of joint. He's injured. But he he refuses to let this man go until he blesses him. And at this point, we see a change in Jacob's life. Because the man, God, asks him, what his name is. And that's a key moment. That's a key moment because Jacob's wrestling with God, as we all do, and God asks him, what's your name? In other words, be honest, Jacob, who are you? Who are you? Jacob's destiny depends upon this answer. Does he continue being the person that he always is? A twister, a cheat, somebody who connives his way through life. Or does he listen to what God wants him to be? And for once, Jacob tells the truth. Before God, he says, "Well, this is who I am." You know, previously, when he'd been asked his name by his own father Isaac, he'd lied. He'd said, "Oh, it's it's Esau, father." But but now, God's asking him, "Who who are you really? Who are you really?" When he cheated his brother and he tricked his dad, he materially became wealthy. But he became very spiritually poor because of that. Would you rather be materially wealthy or spiritually wealthy? Being honest before God is being spiritually wealthy. And God wants that. Wants to pour his spiritual wealth into into our hearts and not to fix our eyes on something that will divert us. But this time, it was a real encounter with God. Not an earthly father who we could deceive, a heavenly father who we could not deceive. And so he told him his real name. My name is Jacob, heel grasper, deceiver, underminer. He told God the truth. But then the stranger gave him a new name, your name will no longer be Jacob, it's now going to be Israel, because you have struggled with God and men and won, so Israel means to struggle with God, you know, that sounds like a a bit of a tough call, struggling with God, you know, we all struggle with God, don't we? And actually, God wants us to struggle with him. When you struggle with something, you begin to understand it. When you struggle with a passage of scripture, you read it again, you read it again, or you walk through the day thinking about it. And, you know, it's quite some time, or maybe a circumstance comes about, when you suddenly realize what it is. And it's a revelation. And it's a real enlightenment. It's good to struggle with things. If you struggle with somebody in your life, you know, that's why you get married sometimes. Because you need that struggle in your life. You need someone telling you, you're not, you're not right doing that. You need that. And you, you sort of resent it a little bit at first, but actually, it makes you a better person. And that's exactly what God's doing in our lives. We struggle with God sometimes. But it's a good thing. It's a good struggle. Jacob was experiencing a time of real Brokenness a sense of a, aloneness, a time of struggle. All this was hard for him and yet essential to have a real encounter with God. He conned his way through life. And he realized that all that was meaningless. And now, as he was encountering God, he had to come clean. He had to recognize who he was and be open and honest with God. And this openness Opened the door for an inheritance like he'd never had before. Yes, he was wealthy. Yes, he had 400 camels. Yes, he had herds as far as the eyes could see. Yes, he was, he was, he was rich in terms of mankind, but he was so poor spiritually. And yet this opened the door for a spiritual inheritance. I opened this morning by saying, well, what seems to be a, quite a weak a weak title, God wants... Friends. God wants friends, but He does. The basis of any true friendship has to be openness and honesty. And if you're open and honest, you develop a depth. You develop a a depth. If a person is found to be a liar, then that friendship is damaged and affected, and it takes a bit of time for trust to build up. But God, our Heavenly Father, so desires that open and honest relationship with each and every one of us. He wants it to be based on truth and honesty. He wants us to know that we're his children, and it's what we were created for. If you think back to to the very first man and woman, why did God create humanity? He created Adam and Eve, and it says that he, he walked blissfully in the garden. They communed with him. Yes, he was their father. Yes, he was creator. Yes, he's the judge of all the earth. He's the master. He's the Lord. He's, he's the redeemer. He's the, he's the savior. He's many things. But God to Adam and Eve was a friend who walked with them, who spent time with them. And in that period before sin, broke that relationship, it was beautiful. It was communion. James 4, verse 8 says this, draw close to God and God will draw close to you. That seems pretty simple, but it helps us to understand that's what was happening with Adam and Eve. God was drawing close to them. There was no rules there was no ritual, there was no rigmarole that they had to go through. God just came and walked with them, and they communed with him. You didn't have to wear anything anything special, you didn't have to do anything or say anything special. It was a friendship. But sin came and ruined that friendship, broke that friendship, put a distance between, between God and humanity. It was that sin that broke the friendship between man and God, It broke that fellowship. And so throughout most of the Old Testament, there's very few people known as friends of God. Yes, there are a few. Abraham, perhaps. Moses, Enoch. David, Job is also known as a friend of God. But there's not many others known as friends of God. They had a a sort of fear of God, an awareness of God. But it was one of fear. It was one of guilt. It was one of not feeling good enough. A little bit like us sometimes. But when the New Testament arrives, Jesus comes and changes all that. Jesus' death on the cross, it was a new promise, a new covenant. As it says, as Jesus was being crucified, the the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. Not from earth upwards to heaven, from heaven to earth. That was God opening the way for a friendship with you and me. That was That's the New Testament. That's the new promise that we live with. It can be anyone's. If you come to God in honesty and openness and say, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. Accept me, Lord. Just like Jacob had to come and accept who he was and confess it before God. We have to confess who we are. We're sinners. We need you, God. But God doesn't rub it in, God doesn't rub it in, God accepts us he he opens his arms wide Romans 5 verse 10 says this, we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, so we will be certainly delivered from eternal punishment by his life, now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God all because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us in making us friends of God we can receive this friendship we can't receive it any other way we don't earn it we don't buy it we certainly don't deserve it we simply have to accept it that's what friendship with God is all about Jesus in John 15 verse 15 says this I no longer call you servants I call you friends That's something to meditate about. I call you friends. The word that Jesus uses here for friend isn't casual acquaintance that you once knew. It means intimate, close, trusted, dependable, confidant. It's the word used for a best man at a wedding. The one whom the groom relies on, trusts in to make the wedding run run well. That's who you are. You're that best friend. You're that best man to Jesus. You're co-heirs. You're side by side. He wants you to be confident because he's, he's entrusting you with life. He's putting you in charge. He's saying, Steve, I've put you in that football club and there's people around you that are lost that don't know what life is all about but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up opportunities by the photocopier for you to just simply say God loves you. God loves you. He trusts us with things like that. You're his best man. Imagine God depending on us, trusting us to do his will, but he does. It's important to God, this friendship. Exodus 34, verse 14, says this He is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. So don't give your lives to lesser things. Don't make gods of lesser things. He is jealous for an unhindered relationship. Don't chase after material stuff money, power, fame, popularity, possessions. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 says this I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your love. I don't want, uh, sorry, I, I do want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me, says God. That's his number one purpose in our lives. That's why God created us and placed us on this planet. Not to do things, not to gain qualifications or acquire heaps of stuff, but to know and to love him. If you go on the Alpha Away Day, you learn about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and as you listen to the talks, what strikes you more than anything else, as Nicky Gumbel's doing the talks, he speaks about God's love, more than he even speaks about the Holy Spirit. And even though it's the Holy Spirit Day, Nicky Gumbel speaks about God's love, and what Nicky Gumbel is trying to impress upon you is that's the heart of God. His tremendous love for every single one of us. A love that dearly longs to have a deep relationship with each one of us. A love that freely gives the Holy Spirit to enable that friendship to grow, to deepen, and to be expressed. That's what God really wants. That's who God wants us to really be. So my question this morning is, is that what, is that what you want? Is that what I want? Is that our number one desire? Acts 17 says this. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's not far off from, every, from any one of us. And Eugene Peterson rephrases that passage in the message by saying this, starting from scratch, God made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so that we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. This morning, if you feel like you're wrestling with God, groping around in the dark, let me encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. Get hold of God. Get hold of God who you're wrestling with, like Jacob did. Don't let go until he blesses you, because he wants to bless you. He wants you to become that person who he looks at as their best man at a wedding. Confident. Confident to do his will, God wants friendship with us more than anything else. I'm going to invite Martin to come and the band to come up. Martin's going to lead us through communion, and as we do, meditate on that. Meditate on the fact that God wants you as his best man, he wants you as that head bridesmaid he wants you as that person who is so close to him in, in friendship thanks Martin